This is Peace Talks, the radio series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm Paul Ingalls. Today, a conversation with 1976 Nobel Peace Prize co-winner Mairead McGuire. In Belfast, Northern Ireland in 1976, the period known as the Troubles was at its peak. Clashes between factions representing different political, cultural, and religious persuasions were on their way to taking thousands of lives over the course of what would be a nearly 30-year struggle. Ultimately, multi-party negotiations resulted in the Good Friday Agreement in 1998 that brought an end to the violence. But in 1976, that agreement and any cooperation between the warring parties seemed a long way off. At that time, Mairead Corrigan was 32, had been employed as a secretary, and was active as a volunteer with Catholic organizations working with programs that helped children. On August 10th of that year, she tells Carol Boss, something happened that both changed her life and started a movement toward peace. Well, in August 1976, one of my younger sisters, Anne, took four of her children on a walk to go around to visit my mother. And lovely summer, sunny day, three o'clock in the day. And there was um, a clash between an active service unit of the Irish Republican Army and the British Army patrol. And the British Army shot Danny Lennon, an IRA man, 19, through the head. And his car veered up onto the footpath and pinned three of my sister's children and her against school railings. The three children were killed and Andrew was only six weeks old and John was two and Joanne was eight. Uh, And Anne herself was dangerously ill and not really expected to live. So this tragedy touched absolutely everyone. It just was... the final straw in a sense because many had died and um, so I remember going down to a television studio and saying may I go on television and saying look this this violence has got to stop you know there's bound to be another way that we can solve this Betty Williams whom I didn't know um, called for a rally and the third co-founder Kieran McKeown a, a, a political journalist um, also joined us, and that was really the beginning of what became known uh, as the Peace People. And the three of you decided that every week you were going to hold demonstrations throughout Northern Ireland, is that correct? Yes, well, it was a very spontaneous movement. I, I think when we initially called for an alternative to the violence, all the violence, state violence, paramilitary violence, we didn't really realize how strong the, the great desire was amongst the Northern Irish people to somehow find a way out of this horrible cycle of violence they were in. So it, it was easy for us because once we called and said, you know, here's what we can do, hundreds of thousands of people responded. So we had a strategy then that every Saturday from August up to Christmas, we organized huge rallies and we particularly held these rallies in areas where people said, oh, you can't go into that community, That's that's there's gunmen there and that's the Protestant community and, or you can't go into that community, there's gunmen there and that's a Catholic community. So our whole strategy was saying to people, look, you know, it's all right to be afraid but you've got to take your courage in your hands and you've got to do what's right. This is our city. Reclaim our cities, reclaim our streets and say no to violence and encourage those who are using violence to come on board and help build change in a different way. 
i.e. the ways of nonviolence. We weren't against people. We were against the violent methods that were being used to try to solve what is a deep ethnic political problem. This was almost exactly 30 years ago. In fact, it's just over 30 years ago. Is there one vivid picture from that day? Um, and, and I'm thinking of the day, the largest demonstration that Northern Ireland had ever seen, 50,000 people turned up. I was wondering if you have a, a picture in your mind that you can share with us that will help us visualize and feel what it was like to be there. Well, you see, in Northern Ireland, we have um, two different traditions almost, and people who'd say they're British, people say they're Irish. And and, and since Ireland had been divided, we've never really become friends as the Northern Irish people. We've kind of lived in separate communities, gone to separate schools and somewhat divided. And when people live in divided communities like that, there is a fear of the other kind. You know, is he one of your own? And that's the other person in a sense. So that fear can be fed through violence and guns. And what we tried to do as the peace people, we said that people have to make peace. Yes, politicians have responsibility, but if people on the ground don't make peace, then it will not be made. So by marching up the what is known as the Shankill Road where Protestants live, um, there were many Catholics who were afraid to do that because they'd never been in this area maybe in quite some time. And so I remember getting a phone, a phone call from some nuns and they said to me you know we would love to go on this peace rally and march the Shankill Road but do you think the Protestant people would welcome us and I said most certainly most certainly you'd be more than welcome and they, they said well will we wear our habits our religious habits or will we come and lay clothes because we don't want to offend them we want to build bridges we want to you know so I said well I leave that up to you that would be your choice so the next time I remember vividly the thousands and thousands of people who turned up to walk the, the Shank Hill uh, and the nuns were there in their religious habits and the people came out and, uh, and welcomed them and greeted them and it just showed that people in Northern Ireland want to live together, they can live together but in order to do that we have got to create you know, political institutions that are fair and just and tackle the root causes of violence and really integrate our community. So that's our approach. It's real democracy. And then looking at your uh, book, The Vision of Peace, Faith and Hope in Northern Ireland, you you do recall um, an incident. It was perhaps the first rally in Southern Ireland. Uh, This story really touched me. When you came upon a bridge and there were the people of Northern and Southern Ireland who were gathered facing each other. Do you recall that? Do you want to share that? Yes. A lot of people in the north of Ireland, particularly from the Unionist Protestant tradition, uh, they going into the south of Ireland is a big thing for them. For them, it's it's a psychological leap almost. It's like people from South Korea going into North Korea. But what was happening well, that day for us was we filled lots of buses from people, of people from Belfast and surrounding cities. And we went down to cross the Boyne River into the Republic of Ireland. And at the same time, 
the people in the south of Ireland, the peace activists, organised buses from all over the south of Ireland, particularly Dublin. So they came up to this border crossing between the north and the south of Ireland. And when we marched from down the hill from those who'd come from the north and up the hill from those who'd come from the south, you know, coming down the hill, there was clouds over the actual bridge. And as we came together, the cloud lifted and the two people from both the north and the south all just rushed at each other, hugging and kissing. And it was a most momentous occasion because it was a symbolic of coming together and building the bridges, which, of course, is what we need to do wherever we live, is to go out to the other and build the bridges. So you, of course, were awarded the um, 1976 Nobel Peace Prize, which you shared with Betty Williams. So that's an extraordinary recognition of your work and commitment to peace and nonviolence. What was the significance of the award in regards to the impact, the influence on the work that you continued to do? Receiving the Nobel Peace Prize really literally opens doors all over the world. Um, so it's been a great privilege uh, to receive the Nobel Prize. Um, at, at the beginning, it was a, quite a difficult thing because um, it was quite a challenge to carry the Nobel Prize, but I've come to take myself less seriously now and actually enjoy the experience. <laughs> but it did open a lot of doors, both at home and over, around the world, so, to the work that we were and the ideas that we were talking about, non-violence and justice, human rights, equality. Well, you know, we were, we were given a, a world platform, lit- literally, to be able to share our ideas. And it also enabled us to be able to, where people would invite us to come into a particular situation to support and give solidarity, then we were able to do that. You know, I've been many times to the Middle East, so I go over to the occupied territories and around both Israel and um, Palestine in order to support the Israeli and Palestinian human rights activists because I do think there's great hope in the Middle East for real change. But we need to support people on the ground working to build the relationships and working for justice in the Middle East. Would you say your message is pretty much the same as when you talk to audiences around the world as it is when you go to a troubled area such as the Middle East and you talk to Israelis and Palestinians? And if so, what is the the message? Well, the message really is, of course, the same everywhere. You see, whenever we were involved in the Cold War, and we had nuclear weapons and one side facing the other. That was one way of doing it. But today everything has changed since the Berlin Wall has come down. Um, what we're seeing increasingly all over the place are more deep ethnic political conflicts. Now, in Northern Ireland, it's really only a, a microcosm of what is going on in uh, Burma, uh, in the Middle East. Um, I could go on forever. So... The old ways don't work. You know, war is not working. Nuclear weapons are no use to us in an interconnected world today. You can't drop a nuclear bomb in West Belfast to try to stop the IRA or the loyalists. You've got to go in there, sit down with them, find out what the problem is and solve it. So these problems that we're now faced with need alternative thinking and alternative ways of solving them. And Northern Ireland is like a model of what we have got to do, multi-track diplomacy, how we actually begin 
to deal with these problems uh, and move away from the old methods and militarism, war, nuclear weapons. You know, they're not working, quite apart from the fact they're immoral, illegal, counterproductive. They just don't work. You've said that you believe the hope for the future depends on each of us taking nonviolence into our hearts and minds and that there is a need for developing new and imaginative structures which are nonviolent and life-giving for all. Do you have an example to share with us of what that might look like? Well, you see, we really have never been taught nonviolence. We we don't know the ways of nonviolence, and that is truly tragic, particularly in communities who would describe themselves as um, Christian. You know, what is Christian about dropping nuclear bombs or making nuclear bombs um, and storing them? Who are we going to drop them on? And spending billions and billions of pounds and producing these nuclear weapons while children die in poverty and having proper education and health care. I mean, we really have to rethink our whole attitude, starting with a demilitarization of the mindset and an imaginative and creative way of beginning to do things. So, you know, we have to rebuild the new institutions, rebuild the structures, support the United Nations, support the uh, European Parliament movements for humanitarian solution to these problems, support those in our communities who are working for human rights, equality agenda, upholding international laws, upholding your constitution. America could lead the world to nuclear disarmament and no war, could do it very, very much, and I believe that's more in the real spirit of the American people. Then we have the freedom to really relook at new ways, new institutions and build these things that we are the human family. Well, let me ask you this. You also wrote that mankind is evolving to a higher consciousness and that everything is changing and everything is possible. What is the likelihood of these beliefs of yours, for example, coming to fruition considering the state of our post-9-11 world where the quest for retaliation seems stronger than ever? I believe there's absolutely every possibility that we as the human family will evolve to the stage where we are building non-violent, non-killing societies. Um, And the human family, people are forever changing and we're learning so much today. Um, But the one thing that we do all know is that love, compassion, forgiveness... These things come from the heart of every single one of us. And we really just have to develop and water the seeds of love and forgiveness and believe that we have power as individuals. And particularly when we join together with other individuals with a vision of doing things in a peaceful and nonviolent way, we are powerful to bring about real change. The youth of today are crying out for a different world all over the world. Young people don't want to bring children into the world which is armed to the teeth of nuclear weapons, which is is using war as a method of solving its conflict. And I've travelled the world. I've been in Iraq. I've been most every area of the world. And what amazes me is that people are great, people are good, People want peace, 
But really what we have to do is commit ourselves and our lives and take risks for peace wherever we live. This is Peace Talks, the radio series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. Our guest is Mairead McGuire, 1976 Nobel Peace Prize laureate. Do you ever get um, challenged at all by people who challenge the notion of talk about nonviolence and peacemaking? And and this is in consideration of the many fears that people around the world and certainly in this country have about terrorism, for example. Well, you know, we we need to, to work so that we don't have terrorism in the world. But the best way in which to do that is to uphold human rights and international laws and to build links right across the world with those people who are using alternatives to terrorism and nonviolent techniques, but to deal with the root causes of violence. And it's very important to ask the question, why do young people um, use violence? I lived in Northern Ireland, and I seen young people within my own community taking up the gun for the armed struggle in Ireland. And I had to try to understand what possesses a young person to take a gun or to go on hunger strike to the death or to be a suicide bomber. Um, And what I came to realise is that we're each born with an innate sense of justice and human dignity. And when that justice is abused by states or governments and that human dignity is denied, when our basic civil rights to a right to food, a right to home, a right to our own country, um, when those things are taken away from us, then we get very, very angry. Uh, And what do we do with that anger? Uh, Because we must, in all consciousness, protest injustice. You cannot sit back and say, it doesn't matter, I'm doing nothing. But when you see injustice, be it poverty, abuse of human rights, be it invasion and occupation of your country, you must resist. But we have to learn the ways of nonviolent resistance because violence is always wrong. You know, armed uh, suicide bombing, that's wrong. But if we don't try to tackle the root causes of why people go to this extreme and all call for of despair, it's a call of despair, then I'm afraid we are not going to be able to solve these problems. You know, Americans, there are many Americans now who feel fear about terrorism, things that this population has never felt before. If you were a member of the Bush administration back in 2001 or brought in as an advisor to them, what would you have advocated as an appropriate response to the 9-11 acts of terror? Well, I would say to them that uphold human rights and civil liberties. Uphold your constitution Um, Do not use abuse against either in your own country or others. You know, the American administration knows what to do. Do you know why? In Northern Ireland, when we had our violent ethnic conflict, the two communities couldn't get out of it. But the government in London and the government in Dublin and the south of Ireland and the American administration encouraged us speak to the terrorists, 
bring on board those who are using violence, bring them into the circle, listen to why they're using violence, have all-inclusive dialogue and negotiation. And they helped us come into our peace process. Um, Senator Mitchell came over 100 times to Northern Ireland and made it possible for the different conflicting parties, including those who represented the IRA, i.e. Gerry Adams and Sinn Féin. It was the American administration that encouraged us to make peace through all-inclusive dialogue. They know how to help the peace process in Iraq, and I really believe it's time for the American administration to, to turn back from the negative, destructive foreign policy politics that they're using and implement the methods that they helped in Northern Ireland. You talk about um, the importance of teaching nonviolence at every level in our society. There are courses on conflict resolution. There's prejudice reduction. Um, How does this happen? How do we begin to do that? Do we begin to do that with our children? I want to hear your ideas about that. You know, if, if if we seriously want to change and become more peaceful and solve our conflicts without violence, I think we need to say, look, violence doesn't work, nuclear weapons, war, old ways, let's do another thing. So we start rebuilding, moving away from a culture of violence, which is everywhere in the world, an increasing culture of violence, tragically. And we move away from that to looking at how we build this culture of nonviolence. Now, if we're to do this for the future, everyone has a role to play. The artists, the musicians, people will help us beautify life and make it a celebration thing. So we each ask, do what I do, do, does it enhance life? Does it make it more beautiful or does it destroy life? So each individual must use their conscience and choose whatever way they want to go. But we start with our children in our homes, teaching the way of peace, of reconciliation, of acceptance, of diversity. We live in a diverse world of recognizing that human life is sacred and that everyone has a right, the right to life and the right to, to a good life, of recognizing that people come from different faith traditions, they have different beliefs, and that's all right. You know, that we allow every person to follow their path, their religious path, whatever it may be. So in our educational system, which America in many instances is so good at beginning to do, interfaith, interculture um, uh, uh, traditions, so teaching children to accept diversity. So we all have to work on different levels. On a higher level at the universities, looking at our political scientists, looking at nonviolence and taking it as a serious political science as something that actually really works. In our faith traditions, our finding within our faith traditions the jewels of nonviolence and teaching them to our children. The Muslim faith, have a great history of nonviolence, the Islamic faith. So we mustn't demonize the Islamic faith. Uh, you know, I hear now about militant Islam. Well, we don't talk about when the troubles were on in Northern Ireland. We didn't talk about militant Christianity. We don't talk about militant Buddhism. You know, so we must recognize that the Islamic faith, that the Muslim people, have their own seeds of peace and nonviolence, and we are all brothers and sisters, and we must not feed the fear 
of the Islamic world because when you feed fear, um, then people begin to see others as enemies and demonize them, and that would be tragedy in our world today. You know, I have been very impressed by a wonderful um, uh, uh, Muslim man. His name is Abu Kafir Ghan. He was a friend of Mahatma Gandhi. And in Pakistan, this man uh, mobilized thousands of people to work for uh, peace in Pakistan. How did he accomplish what he did? Well, he was in Gandhi's time and in the villages throughout Pakistan. Uh, he went from village to village. He encouraged rich people to give over lands to the poor to so that they could begin to alleviate poverty. Um, now, in, in today's world, I mean, I've just come from a visit to Los Alamos, and I'm told that that in there they have many they have many millionaires because scientists are given great salaries and a lot of money. And yet here we are in Los Alamos, where I also was in a house in a dirt track with no electricity. You know, we have such richness and such poverty, and you know, we cannot live with this conflict because it will create violence. So what we have to do is recognize that we must share our resources, our financial resources, uh, in order to alleviate poverty in our world today. You know, Los Alamos, our best brains, our great scientists, their whole life and, and great talents being given over to developing nuclear bombs when America could be using its best brains to solving the environmental crises, the poverty crises, to transforming Los Alamos from a nuclear weapons producing science to scientists who are helping us produce the things we need. Let me just ask you one more thing. Do you have suggestions for those who might feel overwhelmed by events in the world that seem to be beyond their control and feel helpless as to what they can do in terms of peacemaking efforts and, um, you know, nonviolent conflict resolution? Well, you know, peace starts in our own hearts. So take time to enjoy your life. Take time to be peaceful. You know, uh, meditate, pray, whatever way you want to do it. Walk in the woods, paint, music. Find inner peace in your own heart. Uh, then that peace can spread out. Give time to your immediate family. Families and friends are so, so important. And then do whatever you can, just, you know, whatever your gifts lead you to um, in any particular area. You know, if it's working for equality amongst women, if it's working for environmental issues, if it's working on the disarmament issues or the anti-war issues, you know, whatever you feel that your gifts and talents can be used. So this great movement that's happening in the world, all over the world, where people are working for social, political change, and when we network together, then I think this massive movement of a new consciousness will seep up to our political leaders throughout the world so that they will get the message. We, the human family, demand of them that they take care of their people, take care of the poor, provide education, provide health care, because we elect them 
to help make our lives a bit better, a bit easier. And the policies that are now being used in so many governments around the world are causing great tragedy and great suffering throughout the world. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you very much. Carol Boss interviewing Mairead McGuire, who is the aunt of three children who were hit and killed by a getaway car after its driver was shot by a soldier in Northern Ireland in 1976. The deaths prompted a series of marches throughout the region, all demanding an end to the violence. Mairead and Betty Williams went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize in 1976. In September of 1981, Mairead married Jackie McGuire, widower of her sister Anne, who never recovered from the loss of her children and herself died in 1980. To hear this interview again and to read more about Mairead McGuire, visit our website, peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com, where you can hear all the programs in our series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. You can also order CDs there, sign up for a monthly newsletter, and make a tax-deductible contribution to keep these programs on the air, like Fred Herman, John Wallerstedt, Mary Roy, and dozens of other listeners have done. Support also comes from the McCune Charitable Foundation of New Mexico, the Peace Tales CD Project, KUNM Radio, and Good Radio Shows Incorporated. Music by Ali Adelman. For Carol Boss, I'm Paul Ingalls. Thanks for listening. <music>